The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, if you would please turn in God's Word to the book of Exodus in chapter 19. We are going to join Israel again in the wilderness where we have been studying through this great book. And it would be in the wilderness that a voice would be crying in the wilderness, later repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was when the true king was coming and John the Baptist was announcing his coming. And in preparation for that, he was calling for people to be baptized, to confess their sins, to publicly declare their faith. And to be committing to, to behold the, the Lamb who would be the King in His kingdom rule over their life. We saw that today already in Christine's baptism. Wasn't that a wonderful testimony of God's grace in her life? Someone seeking to follow Jesus as, as her King. And we're also going to see today where that, that whole idea of kingship and kingdom where that theme begins in Scripture, and this becomes such a, a massive theme in Scripture to the end of the Bible. It's, it's mentioned first in Exodus 19. This is the first time the word in a reference to God's kingdom appears. But this is really one of those key truths and messages throughout all of, of Scripture. And today we're going to hear the call of the kingdom for God's people. And even as the water of baptism symbolizes the, the washing that is needed of salvation to be a part of this kingdom, in the Old Testament, in, in the kingdom, there were priests, and, and for them to serve the Lord and follow Him, they also had to be washed in water and cleansed. We'll see that later in the book of Exodus. But look at Exodus 19, verse 6, where the Lord says, And you, He's speaking to His people, shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. We're not Israel, and our nation is certainly not holy. It's not a priestly kingdom, but God's people are called to be this. We're to represent His kingdom, and it is a kingdom of priests. It's a a kingdom that's not of this world, and it's different than the kingdoms of this world. It's a kingdom of priests. God's people are to be holy as He is holy, the Old and New Testament says. And the nation of Israel, when they're being called here to be priests, it's, they're to be priests for nations. It's not just about their nation. And this is not just for Old Testament Israel. Jesus in the New Testament, to the end of the Bible, this is a theme, Revelation 1, Jesus loves us and He has made us a kingdom, priests, to our God, Jesus, who, who loves us. This is what he has made us. He's made us a kingdom and priests to his God. We heard from Revelation 5 earlier, among all the peoples, among all the nations, these words, Jesus made a kingdom and priests to serve God. That's what he did. And this is one of those identity statements in Scripture. This is one of those key verses in, in Exodus and the Old Testament of the identity of what God's people were to be. 
in Exodus 19, but Exodus 18 gives an illustration for believers that we're going to see first in the context, building up to this great statement. It's going to take us another week to really get to the fullness of chapter 19. But Exodus 18 actually shows us and begins to show them, even right before God says this, that you're to be a kingdom of priests, he reveals to them what that looks like. And I want us to consider as we look at chapter 18, building up to chapter 19, how God's people share counsel, how God's people bear burdens, and how godly leaders care for all God's people. In this kingdom, this kingdom of priests, these are some of the things and themes that are going to be developed more and more in Scripture. First of all, God's people share counsel. And this was part of what priests were to do. They were to share God's counsel with others. They were to pass on God's truth. They were to be throughout the people of God passing on his truth to others. And and God's even calling them to do that to the world. But it starts here. And right before God calls Israel his kingdom of priests, he shows them what that looks like in chapter 18. He shows them that Moses couldn't and shouldn't be the priest For a nation, the nation could and should be priests. It's not a single priest with a capital P for the nation. The the nation was to be priests. And even for others outside of God's people. And so we're going to see in this chapter elders. We're going to see other God-fearing men share counsel. We're going to hear a new believer in this chapter speaking wisdom. So look at Exodus 18, verse 19. And I like how the New King James words it where Jethro says, listen now to my voice, I will give you counsel. Who is this Jethro that's going to give counsel to Moses and to God's people? We'll go back to chapter 18, verse 1. We looked at this last time, but Jethro was the priest of Midian. This is in the Saudi Arabia area today. He originally led a false religion serving other gods, so he was the priest of that religion. But he shared a testimony, or Moses shared a testimony to him of how God had saved his people, how God had delivered his people. And so in chapter 18, verse 10, we saw this last time, Jethro is praising the true God who saves. And in verse 11, this Gentile now knows the By the Hebrew name Yahweh, this Lord alone is supreme above all other gods or so-called gods. And in verse 12, we saw he worships and joins in covenant fellowship with Israel's priests. So at the start of this chapter, he's called the priest of Midian. But now, after this turning point in his life, he's no longer called the priest of Midian. He's converted and he's in the family of faith. And you're going to hear several times him referred to in his relation to Moses. Verse 12, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And we see here, even as they come together, Jew and Gentile now coming together equally and fully in worship together. This seems to be a, a sacred meal, welcoming to, to kingdom, covenant, grace, And they have equal seats at the table. And this is right after a war in chapter 17 where this this priest who's believing in God 
blesses God for delivering from enemies. And, and this is reminiscent of another story that Moses has already written earlier with Abraham. There was a Gentile priest who came in a similar context. His name was Melchizedek. And it was after a war. And he was also outside of Israel. But he comes in that context and he praises the true God above all. And he says the same words, Who has delivered from your enemies? Melchizedek is, is called there in Genesis 14, the priest of God Most High. And he also ate bread with the people of Israel, with the father of Israel at that time in a covenant meal. That's Genesis 14. That was Salem's king and priest. Now in Exodus 18, it's being revealed in Exodus 19, Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. And in this kingdom, even newly saved people have a voice and have a place in this kingdom. Let's read the story beginning in verse 13 of chapter 18. The next day, so this is the day after Jethro has confessed to the Lord. The next day, Moses sat to judge all the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they, when they have a dispute and come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. You might read that and think, that, that sounds pretty good. Teaching, peacemaking. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. It's not a bad thing what's happening, but it's too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And, and the word order is, in the original is strong and emphatic there. It starts out with not good. That's what he says first. Not good. It, it's the same phrase that was used earlier in, in Genesis when it, Adam was created, but Eve was not there yet. And, and God sees and, and saw it was not good for man to be what? Alone. Same phrase, same, same word order. Not good for man to be alone. Now God's spirit is moving in this heart of this new believer who, who sees and who says, not good. It's not good for you to be alone, Moses. It's not good, we could say, to be the independent counsel. It's not good to be the solo judge and jury and to be the only referee between family feuds. It's not good to be the sole source of information. It's not good to just sit and do a job while others stand around all day. And, and think about this context here. They're, the idea of lining up early, because it says all day they're standing around. It's like, take a number, just line up, stand out there outside the tent in the sun all day. Maybe you'll get seen that day or not, but imagine you're, you're having a feud with someone in your family, and you've got to stand there together in the hot sun waiting, not even knowing if you're going to get any help. That's probably not good for marital conflict to just be standing in the sun for hours. 
I was just thinking about how impatient and annoyed I can be when I'm sitting comfortably in air conditioning and I'm on the phone and I'm being told that there are unusually long call wait times. And I don't even know if that's true. Is this unusually long or is this just normal? But, but I can get very perturbed when I'm comfortably sitting there and it's, it's a long time that I've got to wait. Jethro, from an outside perspective, sees this and, and brings this perspective here, and God's Word records this. It can't all depend on you, and it's not all about you, and the people are going to be worn out, and so will you by the heavy weight or by having to wait. And so in verse 19, he says, listen to the voice of reason. He says, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he's not undermining that role of Moses at all. He's affirming it. He's encouraging him. But moreover, verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place In peace. And so Moses listened to the voice of his father in law and did all that he had said. The judging here in this context is is interpersonal mediation, conflict resolution. Certainly, there may have been other things as well. People are just coming and inquiring, needing help. But we can think of all kinds of things in, in our lives where. We need help as well. God's people were to share counsel for these smaller disputes. Moses was in a special role where he would help with those bigger counseling cases, but even he didn't have all wisdom, and even he, even Moses, needed counsel to correct him so he could do it better. There's ways we can do things better with the inside of God's people. Remember, Moses is 80 years old. Sometimes you can get in habits as you're older. There's a, a saying, you can't teach an old dog, what, new tricks. But you know what? An old believer can learn new truths. And I've seen that here before. I remember someone years ago who's now with the Lord, who's over 80 years old, And at that age of life, he began to learn the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace. And I remember his wife saying, he's a a new person now. He's helping more around the house. He's understood more of God's sovereignty and God's grace. And he has learned. And Moses is learning. And and remember, he'd, he'd spent 40 years out in the wilderness, but he was with animals. He was a shepherd of animals And he was doing it alone, apparently, from what we know earlier in the book of Exodus, working by himself until God appears to him at the burning bush to call him to lead Israel. And and maybe Moses is just thinking, well, I've I've done it this way, you know, for 40 years. I I know what I'm doing, but you, you can't manage people like animals, especially not when there's 
millions of them. It said in chapter 12 there was over 600,000 men. So there, there could be two or three million counting the women and children. You know, Moses could have literally after a while said, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times because he's repeating things over and over again. But there were people, and there's always godly people among God's people. There's people who could, who could help over a thousand, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens, what we might call small groups. There's many things that can be helped with by others with different levels of gifting. You know, Moses, when he was watching sheep, didn't have the luxury of, of delegating parts of his old job to animals. There wasn't any animal to delegate jobs to, but he, he must now with faithful, godly men. He needs to remember that it's not a kingdom of a priest. This is actually a different kind of kingdom than Moses grew up in Egypt. He saw a certain type of rule by Pharaoh. But there's a different kind of kingdom that God wants his people to recognize. It's not a kingdom of a priest. There must be plural priests who share ministry and share counsel. It's God's kingdom people with God's spirit and God's wisdom we read in the New Testament, Colossians 3.16, that we're to teach or to counsel one another is one of the translations with all wisdom. And in Romans 15, verse 14, Paul says, he's, he's talking to the whole church in Rome, Romans 15.14, he says, I'm confident about you that you are able to instruct or to admonish one another, that could be translated competent to counsel others. And here in Exodus 18, not everyone could handle every matter. And there's not any one person who can handle every situation. And they did bring the hardest cases to Moses. He had a unique, uh, direct relationship with the Lord, even verbally at times, where God would speak to him on behalf of the people. So there's some unique things here. But Jesus also says, For all believers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of of God. All of God's children are called in some way to be peacemakers, to bring peace between people, and, and we need each other to do that. And, and each of you are uniquely able, and with your relationships, you have opportunities to do that. You will have this week, many of you, opportunities to make peace, to pursue peace that the Lord has called you to. We are all called to be ministers of reconciliation. It's like Corinthians 5. We're to be ambassadors for the Prince. Of peace, And here, even a new believer helps to make peace. At the end of verse 23, he says, this will bring peace. And so what are some things we can learn from how Jethro gave counsel here? And this is recorded here. This is, this is recorded by the inspiration of God. So that there's things we can learn here. And one is the affection that was showed back in verse 7. If you just look back there, there's, there's love between these two. There's a, a vested interest that Jethro had. He's not just taking a shot, just complaining. He's someone who's already asked about his welfare. He's, he's obviously got a, a vested interest in his daughter and his grandkids. He cares about Moses. Moses knew that. Affection is important if we're going to give people counsel, the relationship that they know we care also, I think asking questions, we see here, not assuming motives, not accusing, 
boy, we can do that so easily. We can think we know why or why they did or didn't do something. But, but to ask, he, he's, he's drawing out the why of, of what Moses is doing here. And also advice for prayer is the way he couches it in verse 19 as he offers his advice. He says, if God is with it, and, and it's, it's, it's if you bring your request to God, bring the people's cases to God is what he's urging him because God is the one with all wisdom, not Jethro or Moses. So advice for prayer and with prayer, we see an appealing to God's leading in verse 23 where he's tempering it with, if God will so direct you. So verse 23. And I think we can learn from how counsel is shared here. It's easy for us just to complain or, or sometimes to, to share things. and It's already happened. It's after the fact. And, and to think about what's, what's the benefit of what you're going to share if, it's, if, if there's not something they can do or change about it. Or, or sometimes we can just throw in verbal jabs that aren't helpful. We need to... Be careful with how we speech, speak, how we text, how we interact. And I think we can learn from affection, making sure that, that they know our care for them, even verbalizing that or even asking how they're doing before we would offer help. Uh, there's some unique things here. I mean, you may not bow like Moses and kiss your in-laws. That's cultural, some of that, but... We are commanded to love and to honor family, parents, even parents of those we're married to. But think about how you interact, how you share your input. Are you coming down on others critically or are you coming alongside them with an offer to help that you're willing to be a part of? It's a good thing to ask ourselves before we just share negative information. Paul often wrote with affection first. He often expressed his thankfulness to, to people who had significant issues that he needed to address, but he so often in his letters, even with the Corinthians and others, begins expressing his thankfulness for evidences of grace in their life that he's seen. Think of Jesus, how he, he, he knew the answers, but he asked questions to draw out the answers. He actually knew their hearts like, like we can't. He knew their motives, and yet he still is, is drawing them out. I think it's always good advice to pray about your advice, to, to pray before you give advice, but even to encourage them to pray about your advice. Bring their case to God, as Jethro said. Trust that God is going to direct. It's good to bathe counsel with prayer and care before and after. It's good to pray with people. And it's also good to encourage the counsel of other godly believers because we don't see or know everything, but encourage them to the counsel of other godly believers as well. None of us has all the gifts and graces. That, that doesn't make me insecure as a, as a pastor to know I don't have all the gifts and graces. It's actually encouraging and it's freeing and it's liberating. It's been Wonderful to see how much this body has been serving and using your gifts and caring for one another. It's been a great blessing to us as we've talked as pastors and as elders, seeing the body at work. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And with a multitude of counselors, there's victory. There's safety, the Proverbs would say later. 
for Moses and for us. And so that takes us from number one, God's people share counsel, to number two, God's people bear burdens. In the chapter before this, Moses' arms were weary, they were weak, and he literally needed someone on his left hand and on his right hand to, to hold up his arms. It doesn't say he asked for it. It says that other, others could tell, Aaron and Hur could tell, this guy needs help, and they rallied around him. They came alongside him to uplift and to help bear the, the weight. In this case, it was the weight of the staff. So that was physical in, in chapter 17, but there's also emotional weight and there's weariness in chapter 18, verse 18, when he says, the thing is too heavy for you. But there is a way, the end of verse 22, where he says, it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. This isn't about Moses shirking his ultimate responsibility or unique role that he had in Israel, which is a little different than Today, he, he had that burden upon him, but he could not bear it alone. He needed people to bear it with him. So this is not just about delegation. This is also about the mobilization of others to be involved in bearing the burdens of others. And as I said when we were in chapter 17, don't just, don't just say to someone, if you ever need help, let me know. Offer specifically a way that you can help bear a burden. And maybe they won't accept it at that time, but you can keep offering. Or just even here today, maybe you see a single parent, you see a lonely person, or you you think of someone maybe who's not here, who you don't see here today, that you can go, you can call, you can text, you can write, you can ask them how they're doing, like we see here, and also ask if there's a burden you can bear in prayer. I mean, if, if you were to see a, a lady balancing all these heavy plates and she's coming up to a door and she can't, she can't uh, open it, I mean, anyone with a little bit of sense would come and they would open the door, hey, can I help you with that? And, or, or maybe you'd say, is, is, hey, can I, can I take one of those things? Would that be all right? Can I give you a hand with this? Like Jethro's specific help here in this passage, if you do this, God will direct you. Help his people endure. Think about a burden that you can bear. Think about the weak. Think about those who are in grief. Think about what you can do for someone who's burdened, who you can seek. This is not just for leaders. This is the job of believers bearing burdens. I know many of you are doing that. But we need to be reminded of this is what it's all about. This is our identity. We're a, a kingdom of, of priests that minister in ways that, that we're called to. Galatians 6 says it this way. If you see someone who's struggling and stuck, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says this, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. This is a command for Christians Bear one another's burdens. This is an illustration of it in the Old Testament, but this is what all God's people are called to do. Bear one another's burdens. And then he says in verse 9 of Galatians 6, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It could be weary in doing good, and that's why we need to even come alongside those who are doing good who are weary. And he says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
There's such a unique testimony when the, the people of God minister to one another and, and the world, the watching world, even yesterday, the, the watching world was watching how a church and how God's people from different churches minister to God's people. And it's a, a wonderful testimony and platform that we need to keep, keep doing because the world is, is watching. And so especially in a special way to our family of faith, we are really family, as you heard Christine say earlier. We're really family. And so I just praise the Lord for how God is, is doing that here, even providentially having the care conference here just a month ago, but seeing how much caring for people in action is happening. We need to keep it up because Paul got weary. That's why he says, don't grow, let's not grow weary. Paul was even tempted to give up in his difficulty. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. In the Christian life, you're going to get there sometimes where you're, even this is Paul who seems so tireless and all that he went through, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. And, and he said he felt like he had the sentence of, of death. He thought he was going to die at times, but he says that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God. Then he says this, you must also help us by prayer. If Paul needed help by prayer, we all need help by prayer. We need God, and we need His people, and I think relying on Him as prayer is crucial. Relying on Him in prayer is a crucial way to help bear burdens. Don't underestimate the, the power it can be to, to pray for someone, to let them know you are praying for them. And in verse 12, it mentioned elders of Israel as a part of this seen. Even the elder statesman Moses needed elders around him, and this is what he wrote in Numbers eleven fourteen. Later, he again encounters a situation like this. He says, I, and there were people complaining about the food, complaining about, about the manna all the time. Again, Numbers eleven fourteen. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Moses got it. And so the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then, God says, I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of my spirit that is upon you, Moses, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. That's a, that's a wonderful scene there, where God takes this Jethro's counsel a step further, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my spirit to you, just like the spirit I gave to Moses. These, these leaders are going to need my, my spirit upon them, and I'm going to take that spirit that's been on Moses now. This is another unique thing in the Old Testament the Spirit, in a special way, was anointing special leaders. He says, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to put it on, on these leaders here. It, it's, it's like in the Old Testament, God's Spirit anointed kings and priests, but it's a picture of how his people are to be a kingdom of priests. It's not just elders or, or other leaders. He, he said that you're to be a priesthood of believers. That's always been his kingdom plan, and, and it's even... 
As I read that text in Numbers, it seems to me to be a preview of Pentecost where the, the spirit that was on Christ at his baptism now, that spirit that Christ was leading his people with now as, as Christ is, is in heaven, that spirit now, it's not just him here leading them, Christ physically on earth, it's now that same spirit is, is being given to all of God's people, male and female, in Pentecost and so that by his wisdom, they share ministry and bear burdens. In Acts 2, it talks about it, the Spirit being poured out on all peoples, even young men and maidens and slave and free and women and, and all of them. And so this is, this is a, a part of a bigger story where God is giving these little pictures of what he's going to do in the future. But, but even going back to the Exodus story, here's how Moses gave more details as he looked back. This is in Deuteronomy 1, but he's looking back to this time in Exodus 18. He says, I spoke to you at that time. I alone am not able to bear you. So apparently Jethro told Moses this. Now he's giving more details of what Moses is telling these believers. I alone am not able to bear you. How alone can I bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads, leaders of thousands, leaders of Hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens. Judge righteously between a man and his neighbor and his brother or the stranger who is with him. That's an alien or a foreigner. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. And you shall not be afraid in any man's presence. So as this plan is going forward, this is what he's telling him. You need to judge righteously. There needs to be no favoritism. You need to hear the small and the, the great. You can't be afraid or intimidated by what people think to do this. No fearing man, no favoritism, just faithful, impartial judges. God's people share counsel. They bear burdens. But thirdly and finally, godly leaders care for all God's people. And He'll take us more time to study more what priests were to do and be in chapter 19 next time. But I think there's enough here, just what we've already seen in chapter 18, of godly leaders leading us to what a kingdom of priests is to be. And first of all, godly leaders receive correction. Moses didn't reject this constructive, corrective input. He received it. He was a godly leader who cared enough to truly listen to all. This is important for all of us, whether you're in a leadership role here or serving in some ministry, to be humble, to be teachable like he was here. I mean, you can imagine Moses saying, what do you know? You're a new believer. I mean, you just got saved yesterday. I mean... Don't tell me this isn't good. I'm the one who got the commission here from God. This is my ministry. This is my lane. I don't need constructive input or help. He might not have said that, but he might have thought it, or we might be tempted to think that, but that's not what Moses did or thought at all. He listened to advice. He listened even to (laughs) in-laws, even to someone who is a brand new believer with with God's spirit that had changed his heart, someone new to the faith with fresh insight. 
I think of years later how King David listened to the counsel of Abigail. He's the king, but there's this woman who gives him counsel wisely and really saves him from doing a lot of harm and receive correction from anyone. Also, they represent their people. Verse 19 says, You represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. The implication is you're, you're representing their cares. You're bringing their cares to the Lord. And, and you're representing their concerns, not your own. Not just looking to your interests or what you would like to see happen giving thought to theirs, you're casting their cares on God in prayer. There's godly leaders over 10, there were a group of 50, or a group of 100, or a group of 1,000 in this system here would represent their people's cares to Moses. And it's interesting the way Israel is, and they're forming their government here, there's going to be more to come. But this influenced even the modern form, even in our country, of representative government, different than just an absolute dictatorship or monarchy in the past, and not pure democracy either, where everyone's taking a vote on everything, but there's nominated and elected representatives locally at the county level or at the state level or at the national level, and there's these judges in, in place who could appeal to a, a higher court of appeal. In this case, like their Supreme Court was taking their case to Moses to represent that with God, even the concept of a jury selected from among the people in the community is even was suggested here to some who were understanding God's word as they were seeking to make a a government as close to that as they could. Verse 21 says, look for able men from all the people. So so Moses might have been tempted to just those he knew or his friends or his, his family members. But no, from all the people, New American Standards, select out of all the people. And when he talks about it later in Deuteronomy 1, he's asking each tribe with those that they knew and knew those who were laboring among them to to choose their leaders. He ultimately appointed them. He had that responsibility, but they were involved in that process of who they were seeing the Lord raising up. And godly leaders also reveal God's way. In verse 20, there, Moses was to warn by the word. He was to make known the way to walk and, and what to do. He was to tell them this is the way he was to show them the right way and, and the wrong way. And this is before the Ten Commandments have come yet. So this is, there were a lot of things that later the law is going to be laid out and then they would become teachers of the law that had been laid down. But they're to train others. He was to, to help others who could teach others also and as others share counsel and bear burdens. And that would help the leaders to devote to prayer and ministering the word. And this is for for women too in the Old Testament. We see Deborah has a role here. We see Anna in the New Testament who's praying constantly in the temple. She's serving, but she also gets to go and testify and tell people about the redemption of Jerusalem that she saw in Jesus. Godly leaders have a special role to do that so others can then take it from there and they revere God. They're men of character 
But it starts with fearing or revering God, verse 21, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Another translation is men of truth, hating covetousness or or dishonest gain. Those who hate any greedy gain, they're, they're free from the love of money. They fear God and his truth more than man and what he'll say. This is important for people in significant roles to not be swayed by what other people say, to not fear what people think when they know what's right. This is important in government or in, among God's people, but think of many world governments through history, and especially in the third world today, but still all over the place today are just known for godlessness among their leaders and even their judicial systems and even law enforcement. There's so much corruption around the world and bribery. We are blessed in our country to still have a lot of common grace that is not common around the world in those areas. We have a lot to be thankful for, even though so many people complain so much about America. We have so much to be thankful for, and what we do have to be thankful for, a lot of it is is still some common grace of even some of these principles here. I read in verse 21 in American history that verse 21 was directly cited by numerous founding fathers and had been the subject of many influential sermons in the founding era. This would be in the 1700s. Noah Webster wrote, quote, Voting for public officers, choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. And he cited Exodus 18.21 and quoted it. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for the selfish purposes of those making them corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute laws. Public revenues will be squandered by unworthy men and the rights of citizens will be violated or disregarded. I think he had an understanding of what happens when we get away from that which we have, but godly leaders really care for all. And this is the last one. They really care for all. And this chapter ends with all the people cared for at all times by godly leaders. And we can't always control what goes on outside of God's people, but as God's people, this is what we are to pursue these principles This isn't just for Old Testament Israel and its judicial system or civil government. This is for spiritual care, too. This is for all. This is for women showing care to needs in the body, showing other women God's way. I I love how that Thursday night ministry is a class teaching women how how to study God's Word as you serve your Kids as well, don't underestimate that. And and kids and youth, as you get to serve, don't underestimate that. As you can care, you can bear burdens. And you who are young can especially encourage us who are older. All of us have a role in caring for souls. But Acts 20 says, especially church leaders are to declare the whole counsel of God. And then he says, pay careful attention to all the flock He says to care for the church of God that he purchased with his own blood. We need to care for the the church, all the church, all the flock. We need to pay attention. And we need your help to do that, to care for the church of God. 1 Timothy 3 extends that to an elder's care for his own family 
Or he says, how will he care for God's church? 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God among you, those allotted to your charge. And he says, not for sordid gain. He says, leaders need to be free from the love of money. And all that sounds like Exodus 18. Elders shepherding an allotment of the flock, having a, a number who are under their charge to make sure they're not neglecting some. And then he also says, clothe yourselves with humility, all of you towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. We need to be humble like Moses, like Peter who received correction from Paul, even publicly. Or Apollos, that mighty man in the Scriptures who needed to learn the way of God more accurately and even received input from Priscilla and Aquila and became a better teacher because of it. In the book of Acts, there was a time where complaints arose among certain women, widows who were of a Greek and a Hebrew background, and there was complaints and concerns happening the apostles saw what was happening, and, and they saw how important this was to address. And, and there were thousands of people to, there in the church at the time, and he called them to, to choose to, to bring forth godly men of character, capable men, who would represent the ladies and their needs, because that's so important, so that they would be able to devote themselves to prayer the apostles' prayer and the ministry of the word. New Testament deacons and elders are also called to be reverent. We're to be trustworthy men of truth who fear God. And in the New Testament, it's always a plurality. There's never a, you don't see a solo deacon or a solo pastor, elder. We have four pastors, elders here, but we need more. And so we've asked you to pray for that and even shared with you, our elders and training that we're working with, and, but we need others as well to help Pastor Mark and Steve and Corey and myself. Just this past Tuesday, as elders, our study was on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where it talks about entrusting truths to faithful men who can teach others also. And this Friday morning, we have men that, that we're going to be meeting here at 6 a.m. this coming Friday, and and a, a leadership study in the lobby, but I would invite any guys here who are aspiring to be faithful men who want to be entrusted with truth and, and learn how you can pass on truth to others also. Teaching isn't just up here on front. There's all kinds of ways that God calls us to, to teach. So Friday here at 6 a.m., any of you men are welcome to that, but we need help. We need training to be able to reveal God's way to others, to really care for those we teach. And if you want to teach or, or lead studies on any level, we'd welcome you to join us or, or talk to us in conversation, see about how we can help come alongside you. You heard some new members last week publicly asking for care and corrective accountability in their life. And the elders are... One way is even to come and, and hear from a couple of those members tonight to learn how you can come alongside them. But also as elders, we committed to them those scriptures that, that I just read when we say we, we're committed to shepherd them. All that we've just read is what we want to pursue. And there's no one man that can do that for hundreds. 
But with our, our member list, even this principle of dividing into tens or, or fifties, having people in, among our, our membership that we let them know they can share their cares and, and their prayer requests with us, and we can share them with the elders that they would desire or pray with them or for them. And, and with difficult cases, sometimes we do need wisdom to be brought to others with their permission, but we have lists for shepherding of those that are allotted to each of our charge for shepherd contacts and care and prayer. And if you don't have that yet or that relationship, or if you want member care in your life, just let myself or Mark or Corey or Steve know. But I I don't want to end with a membership plug here. I don't want to end with a ministry management tips for productivity here because there's something bigger than all of that here. I don't want to even end with Moses here. I don't want to also give the impression that I'm Moses needing you to do something for me or that I have people under me because I I don't. I am not Moses and there has never been another Moses. This was something unique. What God's people have after Moses is actually something better than what they had with Moses, even as great as he was, God actually promised that there would be another Moses in Deuteronomy 18. There would be another like Moses who would arise from the people, but it's not any mere man. It's the Messiah. That's a prophecy of the, the Messiah. What Moses did, some of that was unique and was not repeatable, but there was someone who was like Moses, but greater than Moses, who was promised, who is even better than anything we see here. And and I want us to think about how Jesus, Jesus, the chief shepherd, he chooses and he uses under-shepherds to care for his flock because he cares for all that he's purchased them with his own blood. He has infinite care for all of his people, but he chooses to show that care through his people and to the weary and burdened among his people. Those who are struggling with a hard yoke among his people, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He says, learn from me, come to me, I will give you rest for your soul. And he says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, the Lord Jesus says, and he actually yokes up with us. He he yokes up with his people and through his people he, he ministers so that it is easier for us, so that the burden can be lighter and, and there can be the relationship where his commands, John says, are not burdensome. This is our, our Savior, the one who does warn us when we're doing what's not good and who shows us graciously what we must do. The, the, the one who perfectly reveals God's statutes and he reveals all of God's attributes. And, and, he, and he helps us to live them so that we are never alone. Even if there's not another human being around us to help us, he is always with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. At the end of that baptism text in the Great Commission, he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus is with us, and he teaches us how to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That's his law. It's the law of love. And so in every part of Exodus, we've got to turn our eyes upon Jesus. 
And that's what we've been doing. We need to think of the one who never gets tired. He never gets worn out. He never gets burnt out. It's never too much for him. He bears our burdens. He, it's our burden he's gladly bearing. He did that at the cross, but he does it to the end of all time for all of his people. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. He can bring peace to any situation. He can help you forgive someone who we heard about earlier has deeply wounded you decades ago. He can give you peace in your heart. He can help you to forgive. He can heal you. He can bring peace to any situation. And Jesus actually could do it all. Jesus is the the one man who ever walked this earth who, who could, in a real sense, choose to do it all, but he chooses to share his ministry with his people. And yet he's never too busy for us. He's never too busy for us. You don't have to stand in line for him or have long wait times for him. You can always come to him at any time. And you can bring your big case or your small case to him. And he will hear it. And he will give you his wisdom through his spirit. And he represents his people before the throne of God above. And he cares for all of his people at all times. He not only shows us the way, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through him. Have you come to him? Have you recognized he's the only way that you can be saved? Are you trying to do it alone to get yourself to heaven? You can't. You can't do enough good. You're not good, as you heard earlier. We're not good people by God's standard. We need Jesus to live that good and perfect life for us, to die for our sins, and then to be raised again. He is the one greater than Moses. He is the one that we need to turn our eyes to and look to. He is the one who calls us as his kingdom to be a kingdom of priests. We pray for his help in that. Our great and gracious God, I pray that you would, even this day, this hour, help people to hear, like maybe they never have before, the call of your kingdom on their life, that they would be willing to forsake their sin, to follow Christ. Lord, why? We, we would ask, why would anyone not want to come to a Savior like this? But Lord, we know why. It's because of sin. But I pray, Lord, that you would break through even the sinner's heart, even a hardened sinner here today, that their heart would be softened and drawn and transformed and changed this very hour. I pray that you'd help us all to minister as your kingdom of priests, to serve you to be holy as you are holy and to care and bear burdens and to share your wisdom with others. We pray this for Christ's sake, for his glory. Amen.